This week, I'm delighted to be talking to Jimmy Wynn, one of the leading figures in the world of Bitcoin SV. Jimmy has roles in both N-Chain and the Bitcoin Association. We discussed everything from N-Chain's impressive collection of patent applications to the intriguing relationship between Jimmy, Calvin Eyre and Craig Wright, and whether Jimmy believes that Craig is indeed Satoshi Nakamoto. Stay tuned. Jimmy, thank you very much for doing CoinGeek Conversations. Thank you. I'm happy to have a CoinGeek Conversation. Now, you are the first and founding president of the Bitcoin Association. Yes. Now, what, what does that mean? What do, what do you do on a Monday morning in that job? Well, I do a lot of things. It's one of my key roles. I'm also now chair of the Strategic Advisory Board for Enchain, And we, along with CoinGeek, are two key supporters and backers of Bitcoin SV, which, uh, as I'm sure you know and other people know, emerged from the uh, hard fork of the Bitcoin Cash Network last November, which was contentious. Uh, obviously, there was a hash war, the world's first Bitcoin hash war, and the chain split off um, uh, to become Bitcoin SV, to rebirth the original Bitcoin. And now we have to create a whole ecosystem um, and support growth of Bitcoin SV as a cryptocurrency as well as its blockchain. Uh, there's lots of projects, uh, companies, ventures that are interested in Bitcoin SV. There's miners. There's enterprises looking to build on Bitcoin SV. So we formed an industry association last year to focus on the business of Bitcoin. There's not really been a business industry association for You Bitcoin. mean as opposed to people just investing Correct, money. right, as opposed to consumer investors or people just generally interested as Bitcoin enthusiasts. So let's just talk a little bit about the role of N-Chain in yes. this, because it's quite hard for people to understand. Yes. Uh, uh, when the BBC wrote a piece recently, mm-hmm. I thought they rather cleverly said that N-Chain oversees hmm. Bitcoin SV. Hmm. I thought that was quite a sort of good way of putting it. But That's what, a, what, yeah, yeah. I mean, That's what it. exactly, how sure. would you define how, that role? the role? Well, I'm going to lay out the actual uh, relationships here. So Bitcoin SV is a, a chain um, that we believe represents the original Bitcoin protocol and design. It needed to have a software implementation. Uh, Originally, Bitcoin SV started not as its own chain, but a competing software or technical roadmap for the Bitcoin Cash Network. And we asked miners, essentially, to vote during the hash for as to which technical roadmap to follow. Do you want to follow Bitcoin ABCs, which we think is totally changing what Bitcoin is and is no longer Bitcoin? Or do you want to follow Bitcoin SV, which is restoring the original Bitcoin? Um, Had the hash for ended up differently, the chain would have merged back into Bitcoin Cash, but they have split off. Sort of negotiations broke down and it was well, all out war. Exactly. All out war. And then um, as opposed to continue it on, you know, our camp decided we're just going to go on our own way. Right. Um, and so now Bitcoin SV is its own chain. There is what we call a Bitcoin SV node implementation, which is the reference implementation um, for the, the uh, for Bitcoin SV. Um, that means um, other people can create additional software that's compatible with ours um, and run nodes. And for example, in the Bitcoin Cash world, there's several compatible uh, implementations, Bitcoin ABC, Bitcoin XT, Bitcoin Unlimited, um, that all uh, operate intercompatibly on the Bitcoin Cash. And, and, and whatever happens on them goes onto the same chain. Correct, correct. Yeah. And so we don't want our Bitcoin SV node to ever be the only 
software implementation for Bitcoin SV. So it's the reference implementation now, meaning it's the, uh, the thing you would refer to. Right. If you um, you could create your own software, you know, you, you Charles could sit and, you know, or if you're a coder, could develop your, and release your own software that if you were running a mining node, you could choose Charles's software as opposed to our node implementation. Um, so that is maintained by a team of developers. Um, they work for Enchain. Um, so Enchain has a team that is the Bitcoin SV node team. Um, they are supported financially by CoinGeek. Uh, and Calvinera, of course, is a huge supporter of Bitcoin SV. And the project is owned by the Bitcoin Association. So it's kind of an interrelated set of relationships. Um, but I think it is uh, fair to say Enchain is currently overseeing the Bitcoin SV, at least the software implementation. Uh, we're not the only miners. We're not, certainly not the only companies operating in the space. Um, but um, it's an interesting thing about the Bitcoin world because it's decentralized in the sense that no one person's in charge. But it depends on software, right, to be used, updated, debugged, you know, fixed, and someone's got to do that. Um, and unlike in the past history of Bitcoin, where it was just loose collections of developers doing that, Bitcoin Core, and then on Bitcoin Cash, like Bitcoin ABC, and you get to these questions of, well, who funds them? Who pays them? Because otherwise it's just a side hobby, right? And if you want a true global currency system, it can't be managed by software that is um, uh, handled by developers just kind of doing it as a side hobby, right? Think about it this way. Would you run the Visa and MasterCard payment networks using software that was maintained by hobbyists at home who did it at night when they got home from their day job? Right. Yeah. Right? That, and, and that's not a bad thing. That's how Bitcoin started, and there's nothing wrong with it. But it's part of my message where it's time for... Bitcoin to grow up and professionalize. And that's what we're doing with Bitcoin SV, putting together a professional team. This is their full-time job. They're um, employed by a company, you know, a private business. Right. They're funded by another significant company enterprise, CoinGeek. We are implementing, and that's, that's why we can afford to do things like a professional security audit of right. the code and software, which hasn't been done before. So all those are the kinds of things we're doing. And so Enchain's role is our, uh, we have a team within Enchain that is committed to the Bitcoin SV node software. Some of our developers and our researchers do many other things on top of that, um, but that is a segment of what we have allocated some of our development resources to. I suppose there's a sort of dilemma here. You want to be able to assure people that there are professionals yes. looking after Bitcoin SV. Absolutely. But on the other hand, it's not something you want to be able to go around saying it's kind of owned by Enchain. Correct. There is this inherent tension in a system such as Bitcoin. You know, its genius was to figure out an economic incentive model where nobody's in charge and you don't need someone's permission to participate in the system to download the software and mine or to access and transact in, you know, Bitcoin. Um, but nobody's in charge, but then someone's got to do things to maintain and improve you know, the network. So my view of it is we took the initiative to create the first Bitcoin SV software, the reference implementation. Um, but we don't want to be the only ones forever. People, we invite people to create compatible software versions that they could run. But the big difference between us and the other Bitcoin projects, Bitcoin Core and Bitcoin Cash, is they keep wanting to change the protocol, which requires repeat software changes. Um, 
we want to get the protocol or the, uh, to a point where it's just restored to what we call the original version 0.1 of the Satoshi client software that was released you know, long, you know, 10 years ago, right? And once you get the software to that, where it's just stable, and then the question of whether someone controls the code or not is kind of irrelevant, right? Because it's just a stable uh, code platform everyone uses, and other people can come copy the code. The code is you know, open source. You know, under the MIT open source license, and people can create a compatible version of it but that you, mining nodes and other nodes can run if they want. And that's what we'd like to get the Bitcoin SV ecosystem to, so that Enchain's team doesn't ever have to be the only team responsible for maintaining software that supports the Bitcoin SV blockchain. I'm, I'm wondering how much it's comparable with the way the World Wide Web is governed, yeah. because that is a sort of non-commercial governance. Correct. Mm-hmm. Do you see, I mean, it, when this thing matures, mm-hmm. is that the kind of model you're heading towards? Um, I think that's a, certainly a good model to look at, right? Because we think, you know, the Bitcoin blockchain is very similar to the internet in some ways. Obviously, it operates on the you know, internet. We think one day it will subsume it. But the idea of, you know, the big difference is the blockchain is a data ledger. It's a, a ledger for recording transactions and other data. Um, the internet is a means, it's a protocol for transmission of um, data, communications, content. Um, and so uh, I do foresee a world where there will be um, industry groups, associations, such as the Bitcoin Association, potentially, that help coordinate um, both the technology and infrastructure that is, uh, continues to operate to, for the Bitcoin SV network. Um, in terms of governance, that's always this interesting question with uh, uh, Bitcoin. It's the who makes decisions, hmm. right? Um, and the, that question only comes up when there are things to change, right? And so now the World Wide Web, it does have internet governing bodies, loosely, right? Which um, do look at changes to the internet protocol, which happen very rarely, if you look back at the history of the internet, there have been not that many um, significant changes to IP protocol. Um, so I could definitely see a world one day where there is some type of, um, I don't know if we want to call it governing body, but um, some collection of main players in the ecosystem that um, have discussions and hopefully reach agreement on standards. Standard setting is important right, in any ecosystem so that we achieve interoperability. What you, how you deal with Bitcoin on your wallet or your company makes it workable with my wallet, my company. Um, those are the kinds of things that I think are important to achieve one day. I mean, your background mm-hmm. is as a patent lawyer, I believe, and well, IP lawyer. Correct. Anyway. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and Enchain has a fantastically impressive number of patents. Well, where yes. are we now? Yes. Um, well, we are, I've just learned we have filed application number 691, 691 around the world. And that includes uh, the initial uh, wave of patent applications for an underlying invention and the um, uh, international applications where you would take them around the world to countries where we select that we'd like to get protection for them. But So it's a large portfolio. We think it is uh, one of the largest, if not the largest and certainly highest quality um, blockchain IP portfolio in the world. So how is Enchain as a business going to profit from that? Because mm. I think the, the fear would be yes. um, all this effort is put into 
getting SV used all over the place. And then Enchain is kind of cleaning up because nobody can do anything without having to pay a license on the usage that's patented. So I know there are many people out in the cryptocurrency world who um, are skeptical and concerned about Enchain's IP program. And what I would say is, first of all, uh, we are a private enterprise that invests a lot of money, time, and team members into R&D development to unlock some amazing inventions, particularly out of Craig Wright's head. And that has value to the world, but that costs money. And we will only invest in that if we can protect that, and that's why we have an IP program. Um, I would also say that you know, many companies are filing blockchain patent applications, not just us, IBM, Bank of America. It's a bit of a race to the patent office. If we don't file applications for some inventions, some other company is going to come along and file something that bleeds over and would block or claim a territory. Um, and I think it's better for a company like Enchain, which is so dedicated to the mission of Bitcoin, to be the patent holders as opposed to, you know, they're not necessarily nefarious. I have you know, nothing bad to say about other big companies getting blockchain patent applications, but they're doing it for a very uh, a commercial purposes that is just about their business. We are doing work to try and grow an entire Bitcoin ecosystem. And so there's a couple of ways we can do, use our patent program to help that. One is um, we have said publicly that we will make available a number of N-Chain IP assets for free usage on our preferred blockchain, which is Bitcoin SV now, um, the original Bitcoin. And so that is a way for us to use our uh, resources and effort to entice companies to build on the Bitcoin SV blockchain because then you can use some of our great IP assets and tools and inventions for free. So, so if I'm a developer and I've right. got a great idea yes. and I start putting it together and I think, oh my God, uh, there are half a dozen patents here that right. Enchain mm-hmm. has. Yes. And if you then, do it on Bitcoin SV, you won't have to pay us right. so, uh, IP so, royalty. So that's a way of sort of herding everybody Correct. towards SV. It's a way of wielding um, IP power you know, I say, you know, for good, right? Which is, you know, and any IP holder has the right to decide how their IP can be used because we could just deny a license to other people. And we wouldn't necessarily tell people they couldn't use our IP assets on, let's say, Ethereum, for example, or another blockchain, but then they might have to pay us a fee. You know, it's our right to say we, you know, here's a good example. Microsoft has a different number of licenses it uses to offer um, its software, uh, for developers. One's called the Microsoft Limited Public License. And there's obviously op- fully open source licenses which can say, here's my software, anyone can use it for any purpose. Right? Um, but some companies want to place some limitations on that. So Microsoft has a limited public license, which I reviewed, and it basically says, if they put out software under that license, you as a developer can use it for free as long as it's to build an application or something on their Windows operating system because they're trying to encourage you to develop things in their preferred platform, Windows operating system, right? It would be the same thing as Facebook putting out developer tools, say, hey, developers, you can use this tool for free to build applications that work on Facebook, right? And it's a way where they've invested time, money, resources into creating some software at Microsoft. They've made it available. They want developers to use it for free, but only if it benefits their preferred platform and not to go develop something on Apple's you know, system. And I think that's perfectly fair. And that is our approach to uh, putting out, for example, our Nakasendo software development kit under 
um, what we call an open now Bitcoin SV license. You can use it for free to build things that work on Bitcoin SV. Um, and uh, so that helps us not directly by making revenue, but by supporting the ecosystem we favor. Um, in addition, Enchain is um, building now its new professional services arm, which is the next evolution of Enchain. It's moving to sort of stage two. We've built up this big IP portfolio. Now it's time to go out and start designing solutions that actually implement them in real life with companies. Right, so here's a patent and invention that Craig has come up with with respect to improving the security of a cryptocurrency wallet. Right now, we want to then design and architect a way to implement that in some company's real life wallet. Um, and so they will be working with companies uh, in a professional services sort of consulting advisory basis to uh, select projects to do that. So that is. Certainly a way, for example, IBM, that's how they generate a lot of their revenue. They have an arm that generates IP and innovations and IBM Global Services, which, for which they make billions in revenue through business and IT consulting that implement their IP assets. So, so what's interesting about this is that if everything goes according to plan, yeah. the business model is multiple revenue streams. Of course. Of different Kinds, yes, isn't it? absolutely. And I think that's healthy for any business, right? You shouldn't want to rely on any just one revenue so model. Just give me a list of the, the sort of four uh, most different well, kinds of revenue streams. There then. are different ones. There's obviously professional services. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and that's key. That's going to be a main driver. We could uh, also license just the IP Licensing, assets to yeah. companies that want to um, use them without Enchain's uh, professional services. That's another model. Enchain um, also has its own mining group. BMG Mining, which mines um, Bitcoin SV, and so uh, it earns money from mining. Um, and there are a number of other ways to have revenue. There's, you know, we've had companies approach us about helping them and taking equity in the company, right? In which we have an interest in the company. So uh, those are all possible scenarios, if not more. You know that yeah. you know we can't even think of sitting here today. Somebody has, in fact, I've heard this idea more than once that. Recently, there are blockchain applications and there is cryptocurrency, yes. and that the two yes. are sort of dividing. Is that your perception? I don't think that they're necessarily dividing. I think they were always separate and people didn't understand them. Let's take Bitcoin as an example. That's what confuses people because Bitcoin got birth to the world as a cryptocurrency, a form of digital money, electronic peer-to-peer -peer cash. Yeah, because everyone had heard of Bitcoin right, before as, they'd right. heard of blockchain. Bingo. But when Bitcoin got birth to the world, it operates on something, a platform, which is the Bitcoin blockchain. So Bitcoin is several things. It is a cryptocurrency that you can use to pay for things. It is also a blockchain on which the cryptocurrency system operates and the transactions are recorded on the ledger. That blockchain has power to enable companies to build amazing applications on the Bitcoin blockchain in addition to being able to send Bitcoin as money. Um, but I think people didn't understand that because when Bitcoin first came into public consciousness, all everyone understood about it is like, oh, it's a form of digital cash or digital money. Um, and it's only in recent years that I think people have started to pay attention to the fact of the platform upon which it works can be used for additional things. And one of the reasons I think that didn't become apparent to people until recently is 
the whole reason we've had these fights in the Bitcoin world for the past 10 years, the Bitcoin core developers who took control of the original Bitcoin project, Bitcoin core, locked down the block size, restricted or removed certain technical capabilities in the Bitcoin code so that it, it could not actually support usage of the, uh, that Bitcoin blockchain for these cool other technological uses, right? It was only you could use it to send Bitcoin back and forth. You couldn't do, or not at least not easily, something like tokens on um, the Bitcoin Core blockchain or smart contracts, right? Um, because that is actually what led to the birth of Ethereum because the people who created Ethereum actually originally wanted to do that on the Bitcoin Core blockchain but it was not technologically enabled to allow that. And they went off and created their own. And that's what started opening people's minds to, oh, there's this whole other blockchain thing out there that's not just about cryptocurrency. But this is why Craig Wright gets so frustrated about what's happened is had the original Bitcoin protocol and code never been restricted, the block size kept down to one megabyte, it all could have been done and should have been done all along on just a single blockchain and a single cryptocurrency. Bitcoin. There seems to be a lot of activity in the blockchain yes. area, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering whether people are just going to say, well, I can, I can start my own blockchain. Why, should, right. why do I need Bitcoin SV? Um, and, and you see a lot of blockchain quote, projects out there right, by private companies. Um, let me say, first of all, most of them are not truly blockchain projects. Right, or they're not true blockchains, excuse me, um, where a lot of them are just ICOs, tokens done on, let's say, Ethereum or now EOS. People are looking at doing it on that. Um, the people who are trying to start new actual blockchain projects, a lot of them aren't true blockchains. If they're like the permissioned ones or private ones, let's say, you know, I'm IBM, I'm going to create my own blockchain. But essentially, if it's all maintained by one company, that's not really a blockchain. Right? The idea of the Bitcoin blockchain, the original one, was that you create a system where no one company maintains the ledger right, and is in charge of giving permission to people whether you can access this ledger or not. And it's all maintained by these mining nodes decentralized around the world. Um, so when a company comes along and says, oh, I've got a new blockchain, a new blockchain project, and if they are the only ones who get to tell you whether you get to act on that blockchain and they control the permission to it um, and they are the only ones who run the mining nodes on it that's not really a blockchain but right? from that point it's like of view, a private database right it's just distributed servers around the world yes mm-hmm. but from that point of view it's quite good because they don't need to worry about getting muddled up with anybody else's stuff that, well they, they you know companies like that for control and i know that from my career as a lawyer in the corporate space where most companies want to maintain control as much as possible over things but that raises it removes many of the benefits of a true blockchain right meaning for example that the blockchain is robust and can grow and scale big because um, you know some companies don't have the capacity to make the blockchain scale as big. Um, it means there's a central point of attack. Um, it means that the blockchain is not necessarily transparent and auditable, um, so that anyone can access it to confirm whether data is true or not. Um, you need, let's say, X company's permission, and then X company could change the data. Right in the blockchain, just like a bank could change an entry in its own record-keeping books and ledger, um, and this is where it creates. You know, this is why we believe the Bitcoin blockchain is the thing that most supports honesty and transparency. So you don't have an Enron financial 
fraud situation, and, you know, because someone can change the records. I mean, it seems like what your idea of a blockchain mm-hmm. is, is that it has to have a sort of public and social yes, side to it. Yes, absolutely. Yes, and, and the public is part is critical um, because it means you don't put all forms of data on a blockchain, but the fact that it's public and anyone can access it and anyone can view it, it means that anyone can check to verify and trust that the data recorded on it once it's been added to the blockchain is correct and can't be changed later. And that has opens up a world of business uses, right? Where if everyone can trust that it, this is the right data and can't be changed, then, for example, insurance companies can um, trust that I can rely on whatever, a building or a homeowner reporting data on here so I can base my um, you know, insurance premium calculations based on it. Or um, Think about the power of that for auditors and audit purposes, right? Where it creates a more trusted ledger. Um, evidence in the legal world, right? When you're tracing the, ch- uh, tracing the chain of custody and ensuring, well, this you know, piece of evidence was obtained and recorded on the blockchain at this date, and therefore I can confirm that this existed in this form. This document wasn't changed. Think about I heard of someone recently talking about a service where you could record web pages to the blockchain, to the Bitcoin SV blockchain, and date and timestamp them so that you know this web page looked exactly like this on this date and time. Whereas today, that's hard to confirm, right? If you're going and you're trying to track what happened to a web page and you're, let's say, in a dispute and you're doing like investigative research or in a legal case, I used to have to do that as a lawyer. You'd be like, okay, well, I need to prove that this is what the website looked like at a certain point of time. Think about the value of that. You and Craig and Calvin Eyre are sort of all leading figures in this project. (laughs) Yes, You're quite a... An unlikely trio, I would say. Mm. Tell me, give me a little yeah. sketch of your two partners in this. Um, you know, it's funny that you asked that. I've actually been waiting for someone to ask me about this for a long time. I'm surprised people haven't. We are an unlikely trio. Um, Calvin, Craig, and Jimmy. Because we, we're, we're very different personalities. Um, you know, and if you look at the roles we each play, um, it's a sign, though, that each of us recognizes... And this is what I think um, really smart people, uh, even if they are good and successful at things, recognize is that we're all not great at everything. And we need people who are talented or resource in other areas to help us. So Craig, of course, is a technical, scientific, economic, everything, you know, genius and studier of all things as our technical visionary. Calvin is uh, uh, obviously successful from the online gaming world, um, a risk taker, right, which is important, and someone who's willing to back what he says financially. So he, um, in addition to um, you know uh, others, back financially a lot of what we do in the Bitcoin SV world. Uh, he's also a master of media, you know, which uh, is important. Because uh, Craig's not as good at that, right? Um, he's, he's getting better at communication. And then I play such an interesting role with, uh, with them and others, which is, you know, I was an IP and digital tech lawyer. So people think, you know, I come at this from a legal background. And I do to a certain extent, but that's not my, the reason I'm here, right? Um, I uh, play the role where I help, I'm good at figuring out what Craig means, where he's you know less clear about things, 
Um, I have a very business and corporate friendly background and experience. I'm also, you know, good at media and communication. Um, but I act very much as often the interface in translating a lot of what we need to do into the way the ordinary person and business executive can do because, uh, and understand. I mean, I guess all businesses are com- more complicated than they appear on the outside. Correct. But I think this right. one particularly yes. needs a sort of translator so that yes. the public gets a message that is absolutely uh and then also and then figuring out how to take what are very complicated um technologies and figure out how to make them uh, work um, or what are priorities in the business world and that's a lot of what i'm doing more of outside of enchain even with building the bitcoin sv ecosystem through the bitcoin association is figuring out what are key areas that we need to build first that businesses need? Um, what components of the ecosystem are needed for that? And that is not about lawyering, right? That it's about experience. And, and I think where I, what I bring to bear in that is as a private practice lawyer for 21 years, I worked with many companies in many different industries. Um, I was there at the beginning of the internet in the 1990s, right? So I worked with many businesses at the beginning of the internet boom and through the growth of digital technology and social media, but not just technology companies, consumer products companies, banks, auto companies, retailers, motion picture, entertainment media companies, which were very big in my portfolio. So I have, uh, I bring a lot of breadth of business experience and understanding of what businesses across many different industries want, need, how they have dealt with um, digital technology growth in the past, what their fears are, right? What they want to accomplish from a business perspective, what their internal obstacles are. Um, and that informs a lot of how I think about how we have to build the ecosystem, which is knowing about, okay, you know, companies are not going to be ready to do blank right away, but they might be ready to do this piece. I mean, how useful was your is today your internet experience where presumably at the same time you were at that time you were going around yeah. introducing people to some weird technology that nobody kind of quite oh, knew sure. that was going to be interesting but what are we going to do with it how yeah, can we ever make yeah, money yeah. quite a lot of parallels no absolutely i in fact i feel like this is a, this interesting opportunity for me to be part in a more central way of the next major technology leap of our lifetime since the internet, which is you know, Bitcoin and blockchain technology. And in that first big wave of the internet, I worked in it sort of as an outside service provider, as a lawyer, as opposed to being in the industry driving its actual growth, a particular company's growth. And so sometimes I look back and wish I had left law during the internet era and worked with an actual dot-com or internet digital company. So this is my interesting opportunity to do it at a second chapter of life. So the experience I had from there I think is critical. And it's really helpful because I know the challenges that emerge as companies are trying to adopt a new technology. I know um, the wave that happens as we're trying to do things like figure out governance standard setting, right? Um, understanding uh, what are the government forces that might resist and how to deal with them. Um, you know, what laws because need to you... be put in place. This all happened in the internet era, right? How do you deal with copyright infringement on the internet? How do you deal with child porn on the internet? How do you deal with selling illegal goods and activity on the internet, right? Um, all things that Bitcoin and blockchain will face. I mean, funnily enough, I think if you go back earlier than the internet yeah. to the invention of television or mm-hmm. radio, yeah. FM radio, yeah. 
the telephone even, yeah. the, the same uh, sort of play between the advantages of having one big player who can kind of push things through sure. and the kind of creative chaos yeah. of lots of little people doing things that are sometimes in conflict, that is a pattern that is common to all of these situations. Absolutely. Um, and there's always the resistance of the incumbent institutions to new technology. And, you know, I was a communication studies major in a university in studying mass communication. So a lot of what interested me about that field, that's not just about speech communications, but it's studying the history of media, including the evolution of media technology. That's always been a big area of interest for me. Uh, and so all those things you talked about, watching the progression from radio to television to motion picture to, you know... To, you know the, but we haven't the, really got a sort of massive yeah. elephant-in-the-room-type size player no. in this space. No, not yet. Unless it's a big bank, I guess, eventually. But and even then, I don't think any one big bank can be the 500-pound gorilla in the blockchain. Yeah, I mean a gorilla, space, not right? an elephant. Yeah, a gorilla. <laughs> right. So um, um, there is one. I mean, I think certainly there are some companies of magnitude that could represent that. Um, personally, I think, you know, it would be big technology companies. If Google made an aggressive play into blockchain technology, they could be a gorilla in the space, right? Amazon, Alibaba, um, probably more than banks in an odd way you would think banks would be sort of like key players would, would you well would, 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 would you be pleased if you heard an announcement that google was going to go into cryptocurrency in a big way or blockchain or, or would you well, think the, oh no we're, we're you know we're, we're just getting going and the last thing we need is that absolutely i would welcome and i am waiting for google's uh, um, active participation in fact i'm i'm sure they're already and i know they're already looking at various blockchain you know technologies anyway i they may not have their own cryptocurrency but you know who knows i think uh, if that were to happen my i would immediately go to this company and say you should be building things on bitcoin sv and using bitcoin sv for your cryptocurrency or your tokens uh, and educating them about why this is the best one so no i, I Absolutely welcome it, and I welcome the opportunity to speak with any of the major enterprises of the world about the power of Satoshi Vision. Enchain's website yes. says that, talking about Craig, he has, quote, unparalleled understanding of Bitcoin. Yes. What is your personal and Enchain's corporate view on Craig being Satoshi? I'm not going to answer for Enchain, the corporation, other than to say what I've said every time I've been asked as I've traveled the world and spoken to media and events about um, Bitcoin and, and Craig is that in our view, it doesn't matter whether Craig but is But it's Satoshi. interesting. It's an interesting question to ask, but it just it shouldn't matter whether he is or isn't Satoshi Nakamoto or was involved in the creation of Bitcoin. We ask people to look at what he says, what he's trying to fight for, which has always been about an original vision of Bitcoin, the work that we do, and decide that that is the place to build. Um, what we don't want, and Craig's very clear about this too, is like he doesn't want people following him just because they believe he's something or not something, right? Um, but what do you think? I think that Dr. Craig S. Wright is one of the and as someone who works with him very closely and spends a lot of time with him, I think he is one of the most un, 
unparalleled minds working in Bitcoin. He has um, the most powerful vision for what Bitcoin can do that other people, and I talk to a lot of people in Bitcoin, don't even realize. Um, he has an understanding of the Bitcoin protocol. I can tell from our meetings with our developers and him and others. Uh, he has an understanding of it that is beyond anyone I've ever seen. I think he's misunderstood by many others, including people who choose to misunderstand him. And I think that um, it's very clear he was working um, at the very beginning of Bitcoin. And from that, people can draw whatever conclusions they want. Okay. I, I, I appreciate your last answer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's carefully nuanced. What, what I can't quite understand... I'm a lawyer. What I can't quite, what I can't quite understand <laughs> yes. is you and Craig yeah. are good friends. Yes. Is this a subject that is sort of slightly difficult between you? Because I would have thought you'd be saying, well, look, I know the guy. He's obviously Satoshi. Oh, it's not difficult at all. I think, and clearly Craig, if you've been reading his recent media Yeah, he's post, coming out. He's, he's been writing about clearer it much, than more, ever. Ex, more, much more expressly. I... First of all, I just think that there's no way for him to ever prove or disprove definitively to the um, absolute certainty, especially of the naysayers, that he or anyone is Satoshi. Well, there was a way. He he tried to do it, didn't he? Well, but even if you were to sign using certain cryptographic keys, there's always going to be people who say, well, he might have the keys. Does not mean he was Satoshi? But maybe it doesn't matter. No. I mean, this is... The, okay, let me tell you my theory. I know people think it matters. Uh, uh, my uh, yeah, theory yeah. is that he's incredibly clever yeah. in that he, he wants the clever. authority of probably being Satoshi without the responsibility of a sort of Bill Gates figure definitely being responsible for things. There's that, a lot of reasons, if you listen to what Craig says and writes, there's a lot of reasons why it's better for Bitcoin that there not be a Craig Wright as the authority. Exactly. And, and if he... Because there shouldn't the, be an yeah. authority or the authority for Exactly. Bitcoin. And as, as the author of the project, he would realize that better than anyone. Yes. And that therefore, perhaps his strategy is very, very clever. And perhaps that's a very clever understanding on your part. <laughs> Jimmy, thank you very right. much indeed. Thank you so much. Many thanks to Jimmy Wynn. Please follow us on Twitter at RealCoinGeek and please join me, Charles Miller, for another CoinGeek conversation next week. Till then, goodbye.